So here's what we've been doing. We've been sitting, then we've been rereading re the questions from the last uh, Eightfold Path. Then we've been um, talking about that. Then we've been reading the new one, reading the questions, then writing, then talking about that. And Peg is uh, muted. And Nelda is muted. But we're going to sit first, so. That's okay to be muted. Okay. Anything else before we sit? Okay. So just a little advanced notice. I don't know if I might have to s slip out quietly and take the puppy out at some point during this. So if I disappear, you'll know why. <laughs> Is she sleeping? Uh, yes. Oh. <laughs> oh one, one thing that was interesting as we read Red Livelihood was, I think, was that he didn't take the traditional jobs and right livelihood being about those, like not being a butcher and not making weapons or. Right. Um, and then also, uh, well, we, we had three of us reread it because we forgot to record it last time. And as we reread it, we just realized that you don't get a pass because of a particular job, but it's how you do the job. So it's a continuing thing. You know, I thought, well, I don't do those things. So it's like the do not kill. Right. You, us because you don't murder. Right. Um, and we really, these are much more like the precepts than I had thought of previously, too. Yeah. So, uh, well, are you on right livelihood? Oh, we're just going to read the questions, talk about it a little because we've been reflecting about it this week, and then go to the next one. You mean the reflections and practices? Yes. Yes. Yeah. We're on page. I can, I'm going to share it. Uh, I know Nancy doesn't have the book, so I'll share it. Okay. And let's read alphabetically. So it's uh, Donna, Ellen, Kim, Matt, Peg, Stephanie. Right? Okay. Wait, what about Nancy and Nelda? Yeah. <laughs> Nancy and then Nelda then Peg Stephanie but Nancy doesn't have her name up so it's Nancy does now she does okay uh, cool that helps yeah uh, okay maybe Nelda will reappear I'm here 
Does, do other people see Nelda? Yeah. No. Yeah, I did see her. I mean, I don't no. see her face, but I see her screen. So I have to sort of um, be creative with this to hear and see y'all. So I've got you up on both my computer and my phone, but I don't know how that interfaces at that end. No, well, I see two, two squares of black, but that's all right if you're happy. Okay. <laughs> hey, so uh, Donna. All right. Reflections and Practices, Right Livelihood, Week 1, What We Produce, the primary activities we engage in to sustain our life are what constitute livelihood. These can be grouped into two categories, what we produce and what we consume. Production refers to what we create or engage in that provides us with financial and material support for our life. Consumption pertains to what we buy and use in order to sustain our life and lifestyle. This week, Oop, am I muted? No. This week, give special attention to what you produce. What work or activities do you engage in that provide you with financial and material support? If you are employed, what do you produce? If you are a homemaker, what are you making? If you are retired with investments, in what have you invested? If you are a student, are, you, are your studies directed toward being able to do something that will provide you with a livelihood? Do you believe this livelihood goal is right livelihood? I think it's me. What is your relationship to what you produce? What attitudes do you have toward your work? Does it inspire you? If so, how? <coughs> is it meaningful? If so, how? Does it help you become a better person? Does it benefit others? Can you think of ways you benefit yourself and others through your work that you might be overlooking? What values do you express through the work you do? What values do you wish you better expressed at work? In this week, reviewing and reflecting on these questions, discuss them with friends, write down some of your answers. Please do this repeatedly so that you might begin to discover new perspectives on these questions. Week two, what we consume. What do you consume by and use by or spend your time doing in order to both meet your basic needs and sustain your lifestyle? What motivates the choices you make about what you consume? How are you affected by what you consume? What values are you expressing by these choices? What values do you wish were more a part of these choices? Does what you consume make you a better person? Does it benefit others in any direct or indirect way? Please spend, please, um, please spend the week doing as deeply as you can into these questions. Week three, work in the Eightfold Path. For four days this week, consider how you can practice each of the first four factors of the Eightfold Path, right view, right intention, right speech, and right action in your livelihood, whether it is at a job, homemaking, studying, or in retirement. You might reread the chapters on these factors while considering how the teachings relate to your work life. 
Be sure to have a dialogue with someone about the relationship you see between work and each of these factors. So you might carry your reflections further than if you explored them on your own. I think it's interesting too, to me, that uh, the Buddha was interested in right livelihood and not just what the monks did. I mean, this showed that hmm. practice was important. Yeah. Or that, they, that it wasn't all about the monks too. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Okay, who's next? Consumption in the Eightfold Path. Uh, you're muted. Okay, week four, Consumption and the Eightfold Path. For four days this week, consider how you can practice each of the first four factors of the Eightfold Path in relation to what you consume, use, buy, or how you spend your time. For right view, consider what happens when you look at your consumption through the lens of the Four Noble Truths. For right intention, explore how you might benefit from greater compassion, goodwill, and renunciation in your non-work-related activities. For right speech, think about how you can do these activities with kinder and more honest speech. Are your patterns of consumption aligned with right action? Again, please find someone to discuss these reflections with. And Peg, one of the issues that came up was how do we, um, we're not going to do all these things perfectly. No. And how do we deal with that? I mean, it, it could be almost like an opportunity for self-abuse. Like, well, you could use it that way if, if, if that's your tendency. Yeah. So, so. Like, I encourage you not to. <laughs> I was telling the group. This prisoner I've talked about that I'm writing to, he's really into stoicism. So then I started reading about stoicism. And then I saw that that side where you could, you know, you could fail so easily with all these aspirations and then go, you know, like it would be worse than if you did nothing. So there's no vow in stoicism. So it's not interesting to me. Um, it's not really concerned with helping other people or relieving suffering. So, yeah, and I think that's an important part of it. That, yeah. Uh, it's more Western philosophy, but not, I, I'm not interested in that in the philosophical arena, actually. Because what we're talking about is something a lot deeper than that. So, yeah. We were interested too, uh, and I know Nancy, if, talked about it, um, this idea of consumption being part of right livelihood. I think that's really an important point that he makes. And um, I, I hadn't thought of it before reading this book, um, but I think it's a wonderful practice. And um, again, you can use it to beat yourself up or you can use it just to be mindful. So um, I think that's very important. And in terms of doing any of these things perfectly, that's not what that's not what the aim is. It's really a path. This is a path. This is a step on a path. So and you're on a path. Same deal as the as the precepts. And what? It's the same deal as the precepts. Exactly. Exactly. So you're you're just recognizing this is my intention. This is my aspiration. It will be imperfectly realized, but I'll just do my best. You know, I was going to throw out your styrofoam, and then you said, "No, no, it should be recycled." That kind of thing. So I wasn't aware that 
that I should you know, go there to that place. The uh, disposal place, yeah. But anyway, I found someone in the neighborhood who will take it for us. Oh, great. Yeah, so I have it all. Yeah, great. Yeah, they, they just started, the city just started taking styrofoam again. To make an appointment, and she did, and so anyway. But, great. But that's an example, you know, and, and it's endless. Yeah. Like what we can become more conscious of. Yes. Yeah. Like even, even this was a funny one, but Nelda and, El, and Ellen and I reread the thing, and, and then I listened to the recording, and I realized um, just in terms of bandwidth, the amount of talk was almost um, um, excessive. Mm -hmm. Our talk? Our talk, especially me. Oh, really? Um, you know, part of this consumption is how much, how much are we going to talk? How much are we going to, to you know, fill the airwaves? How much <laughs> and you have to look at right speech with that, too. Like, what was useful speech and what was just yammering? Yeah, I think this is, this is the Eightfold Path is just... Um, endless, endless opportunities for reflection and mindfulness and looking at what we're doing. And this, of course, it presupposes that we are working on right view. So we're trying to get some clarity about these things, right? Yeah. Or a complete view or something. Another thing we recognize how important right view and right intention were to, to any yeah. these. Yeah. Essential. I have a question. What, what is the connection between the precepts and the Eightfold Path? I mean, they seem to overlap. Um, I think it's not so much overlap. Um, if I had to describe it, I would say, I think um, the Eightfold Path is more um, individual and the precepts are about building an ethical society, a society that can be in harmony. So we take it as individualistic because that's the kind of culture we are. But really, I think the precepts are about how do we create a harmonious society? He's always telling kings, you know, or um, uh, villagers or whoever about the precepts as a way, you know, to me, that was a civilization building project. And, um, and yes, you can, you can take them as an individual, uh, you know, exercise, but ultimately um, it's more, even more relational in many ways. The precepts. Yeah. And, and so did you understand that from the context that you had, in which you read them? Uh, I think more in uh, the context of the uh, teachings of the Buddha and the life of the Buddha. Okay. So... But in any event, I don't think you, uh, you know, I, 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 it's not harming to pay attention to those things, either the Eightfold Path or the precepts. You know, it's not like you're going to do one and not the other. Or, right. But the, if you're going to weave the fabric of a society of, where people can trust each other, it needs a certain integrity at the heart of it. And then you see the Eightfold Path is more directed to individuals? It's more, how do I embark on this aspiration for the cessation of suffering? Okay. So would you like use the Eightfold Path as a foundation to, um, 
to practice your preset vows. Right. And so it's kind of like, if you understand that suffering is pervasive and universal, and if you understand how it originates, and if you understand that it's possible for it to stop, you know, um, it's possible for it to be extinguished, um, and that there's actually a path for that, um, wouldn't you um, long for everyone to have access to that path? So that they would suffer less and they would cause less suffering. Thank you. Yeah. So in the, in the precepts, I think, um, too, are um, ways to be, to, I, I think of it as ways to live without regret and remorse. So uh, you're free of the oppression of uh, that quality of regret because you have aligned yourself with, um, a, a, you know, as they're described as uh, gifts, supreme gifts. So when you abandon harming, you give others the gift of freedom from fear, the Buddha says. And as a result, you yourself become free from fear and oppression. And so, um, so it's a two, kind of a two-way street, right? But I love the idea of precepts as gifts. Um, just a, a lovely way to think about it. So in the same way, the Eightfold Path is less like a gift you're giving to others and more like how you um, develop and cultivate your spiritual path so that you become that kind of a resource. So that you have the capacity um, to, uh, to offer these gifts. And that's just one way to think about it. Okay, anyone else want to say anything before we go on? Okay, who's reading? Uh, I am. Are we back to the next book now, or are we going on with this one? We're going to finish this. Oh. Yeah, we'll finish this. It's just a little bit left. Okay, chapter nine, six-factor right effort. It is for you to make strong effort. The Buddhas only tell you how. Dhammapada, verse 276. Right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration are the factors of the path that address our inner activities, what we do with our minds and hearts. This focus is distinct from the emphasis on verbal and physical activities in the three preceding factors, right speech, right action, and right livelihood. Attention to and care with our outward actions prepare us to do the same for our, minor, for our inner mental actions. As with other factors on the path, what guides this care is the intention to avoid causing harm and to engage in what is beneficial for ourselves and others. The Buddhist tradition often refers to activities that cause harm as unskillful and those that are beneficial as skillful. The use of these terms highlights the idea that we can choose to think, speak, and act 
in ways that are beneficial. Using the words skillful and unskillful avoids the moralistic judgments that good and bad often imply and the absoluteness of right and wrong. Skillfulness suggests helpfulness. Things that are unskillful are simply not helpful. When one is walking the Eightfold Path, skillful activities are those that help us move closer to peace and freedom. Those that are unskillful take us in the other direction, towards suffering and servitude. Distinguishing mental actions that are skillful from those that are not is at the heart of right effort. Here, mental actions refer to the thoughts, impulses, feelings, and states that arise and persist, depending on our intentions and reactions. Only by recognizing whether or not these are helpful and beneficial can we usefully choose which thoughts, impulses, feelings, or states to cultivate and which ones not to, and where we want to put our efforts. In practicing right effort, we exercise these choices to support the path of liberation. So a question that keeps coming up in this political world of ours is how to feel toward being unskillful. You know, whether you do it with anger, with, um, you know, with fire, whether you say, I'd like, you know, I'd like that person to die or, or, you know, how, how do you, and it seemed Buddha was very generous about this. Like when he called it, you know, uninformed worldly or worldling. Peg, you're muted. Yeah, uninstructed worldlings. Yeah. It seemed like he wasn't demeaning the person. He was just describing them. Yes, it's like describing a baby. You know, it's just a baby. So of course it can't ride a bicycle. And so, um, we don't think of that person as being evil. No. Just, just not equipped. Just not equipped. And, but there are people who wish harm. There's no question about that. The Buddha didn't have any question in his mind about that. He wasn't an, an apologist for people who, who do wrong. Um, that, that wasn't his intention at all. Are those people unskillful or is there something beyond that? There's something beyond that. For those people, yeah. I see. They don't have right intention for one thing, right? They don't have right view, so. So you could say they were ignorant. You could say they were ignorant. You could say that they were um, uh, conditioned by greed or by anger or hatred. I mean, now we call it a sociopath. I mean, one, one, but, but. Yeah, but they're ordinary people who are captured by those causes too, by those forces. Um, they think it's, they think it's um, appropriate to want to have millions and millions of dollars or whatever. Um, that, that just, that's not because they're, uh, they're ignorant. They just don't have that moral underpinning, I don't think, that. That's why we study these things. So they don't have right view or they don't have right intention or sometimes they have right view, but they don't have the right intention. And probably somebody taught them that. It's probably not, it's not necessarily innate. 
Well, babies aren't born like that, so yeah. uh, they have to, this has to be learned. So Peg, help me with something, because when I hear someone does not have a moral underpinning, there sounds like judgment in that to me. And um, I would like to describe people without having a right, wrong, negative, just this is who they are. And this is why I deal with them this way. And so explain to me why that sounds like judgment to me, because maybe it's the way I define um, immoral when I talk about someone being immoral or lacking moral underpinnings. Yeah, I think um, uh, if you understand that they may have never have had an opportunity to really learn that, they may never have had an, uh, a good um, example in front of a good model in front of them. Um, they may in fact have had counter models that have told them things like, you know, um, getting rich is the only important thing or whatever. Um, so they don't have a moral foundation. I, in um, Buddhist terms, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are evil. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're, um, that you're, they're being judged. It's just they're lacking something that's necessary for a happy and productive life and a harmonious life with others. So you don't ha if you don't have the precepts under you, you don't have some, you know, um, foundation that gives you integrity and uh, makes you trustworthy for others, then that's something you're lacking. So there isn't really a judgment implied in that because there are all kinds of ways that that could happen that are not really within the person's agency. Thank they're you. misinformed or um, they're, um, they're acculturated that way or there's just lots and lots of conditions that create that but they're lacking something that would give them a base in which their, you know, right effort and right action and right livelihood and right speech and all of that would, would naturally be built. So Peg, I have a question around that. Does, um, does that mean that from a Buddhist standpoint that people who are multimillionaires are not, um, mindful no it doesn't mean that at all in fact um, one of the buddha's followers who was quite wealthy asked the buddha um, he said i have many many families that depend on me for their living um, in order to follow you do i need to uh, to um, get rid of all of my wealth and um and and therefore you know endanger these families and the buddha said no just make wise use of your resources so are they making wise use of their resources? I knew, even when we were in the landscape business, I knew many, many very wealthy Chicagoans that you know, we had a lot of um, business in lakefront estates. And uh, it was interesting to me that for some of them, they acquired a lot of resources so they could help in a bigger way. So that they were in a position to make a much bigger difference in people's lives. And so they had worked really, really hard to be resourced in order to be able to do a lot of good. So I, I, wouldn't, put any, I wouldn't put any moral judgment on whether you know, people have money or people who don't have money, either way. You know, there's a kind of reverse snobbery that says that poor people are noble. No, they're not all noble, you know. Right. Um, so you have to understand it's, it's, this is really quite variable, even in we think of it as a particular population. 
Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Thank you. They can be terribly mindful. They can be working really, really hard to make a lot of money yeah. so that they can make good things. I mean, Bill Gates is a pretty good example, you know. Right. That's yeah. what I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Morality is not dependent on income. I have a kind of a question. Yeah. So I know that there are stories like the story of the terrible murderer who came to Buddha and Angulimala. Yeah. And was transformed eventually. And so practically in real life, I mean, do you know of anybody who had no moral, you know, hardly any moral underpinnings who like used, actually used the precepts and the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path to, sure. to give it change? Jarvis J. Masters is a good example. Who is that? Finding Freedom. I think he's on death row. Um, oh. He became a Buddhist. I think his teacher is Tibetan. And he was completely transformed by it. And that's, that's common. I mean, it's not even uncommon, but he, he's written a book that is very good for prisoners because they see that you can find freedom even in a maximum security situation um, fraught with violence. And, um, and it's, a, it's a beautifully told story, his story. Jarvis J. what? Masters. Masters. Yeah, Finding Freedom. It's quite compelling because his circumstances are so extreme. Mm-hmm. And he, he, got, he received empowerments. He, re- and, um, he received an empowerment for non-harming, and that totally shifted his fair wow. demeanor in the, in the prison. So it, it, it's an exceedingly violent environment. So there, there's lots and lots of examples, but he's the one that comes to mind because the book was so compelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, where are we? Who's reading? I think. So I think it's on you, Kim. Okay, right effort involves, I think we're on that thing. Yeah, yeah. Effort involves different ways we can apply ourselves. When it comes to our inner thoughts, feelings and states, we can prevent, abandon, arouse, or maintain these inner experiences. Far from being uniquely Buddhist practices, these four are common (coughs) throughout human life. For example, when we avoid stress by giving ourselves ample time to get to an appointment, we are preventing when we consciously relax our impatience while waiting for a red light to turn green, we are abandoning. When we cultivate appreciation of another person, we are arousing. When we stay calm in difficult circumstances, we are maintaining. In the practice of right effort, we utilize these four efforts to safeguard and develop the quality of our mind and heart. The quality of our inner life is our most important asset, and it deserves our utmost care. When we see clearly that unskillful mental states decrease the quality of our inner life, it is natural to want to either prevent these states from occurring 
or if they are already there, to find a way to abandon them. And when we understand that there are things we do, we can do to increase the quality of our inner life. It's healthy and makes sense to do so. This way, the quality of our inner life can be improved. Preventing the first of four right efforts involves avoiding and restraining. Avoiding means not putting ourselves in situations where unskillful mind states are about to be triggered. For example, if we have an addiction, it's best to stay clear of the people, places, and things that will tempt us to indulge. If we tend to become angry when we are around angry, angry people, maybe it's best to avoid those people. This effort to avoid is built on the understanding that we are better off without unskillful mental states and behaviors. Restraining is the practice of not giving in to unskillful reactions and desires. It requires first recognizing impulses and thoughts of greed, ill will, and delusion when they arise, and then holding them in check so we neither act on them nor feed them with more mental involvement. When unskillful states of mind are present in us, Right effort involves abandoning them. At times, this can be done through a simple act of stopping or letting go of the unhelpful mental activity we're engaged in. We see what our mind is doing, judging another person, for example, or criticizing ourselves, and we decide to stop it. Other times, we can achieve this by first acquiring a good understanding of the mental state we want to overcome. Sometimes, insight into the conditions that give rise to the unskillful states can show us the underlying attachments to let go of. It's, it's nice how he talks about um, stopping and holding back and restraining yourself as efforts. Yeah. Just doing. Yeah, exactly. The third right effort is arousing skillful mental states, thoughts, and intentions. These mental states are not only helpful on the path of liberation, they are also satisfying in themselves. Particularly useful are the seven factors of awakening. Mindfulness, investigation, energy, joy, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. Also helpful are loving kindness, compassion, and appreciative joy. Some of these states arise as a consequence of meditation practice, and some can be purposefully cultivated with other activities. Once skillful states have arisen, the job of the forthright effort is maintaining them. This includes recognizing and appreciating skillful states when they are present, as well as applying the first right effort of preventing unskillful states from arising. Continuing the actions and practices that give rise to skillful states is also a way to maintain them. Practicing these four right efforts, care should be taken to not avoid difficult feelings, thoughts, and mind states that would be better, that would be better to focus on with mindful and compassionate attention. Sometimes the inner difficulties we are having can represent something that needs to be seen clearly or that is working itself out inside us. 
and such circumstances arousing good states of mind can inhibit or delay something that needs to be resolved. That, that's pretty much the definition of spiritual bypassing. Oh yeah, I guess so. Uh, practices right also include giving attention to the way in which we make effort. The kind of effort requires required varies depending on the circumstances. Sometimes heroic effect is appropriate. <coughs> and other times what's needed is an extremely light touch. It can happen that the purpose of our efforts is beneficial, but the way we exert ourselves to, make, to attain this goal is not. For example, we can be too aggressive or too hesitant too self-aggrandizing or too self-deprecating in the way we apply ourselves. I think I've mentioned this to Peg, but I had a friend who uh, in her first semester in college got a C and she had always gotten straight A's at the community college. And then she went to Washington University and her teacher said, I, I don't think you studied in the right way. And I thought that was so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Like her effort wasn't right. It wasn't like it was, she was lazy. Something, yeah. Our effort in Buddhist practice can be delightful when it is free of greed, aversion, and fear. At times, effort can feel almost effortless and satisfying for its own sake. Certainly, it can be inspiring to know our efforts are dedicated to walking the Eightfold Path to bringing greater peace and freedom into this world. Reflections and practices right effort week one, the effort of preventing. This week, reflect on the state of mind, trends of thought, desires, and intentions you commonly experience that you would be better off without. Under what circumstances are these most likely to occur? What do you need to avoid in order to lessen the likelihood of this occurring? In what appropriate ways can you avoid the circumstances that tend to bring them up? Choose to avoid one thing this week that you know is a catalyst for the arising of unskillful states in you. Notice the benefits and costs of practicing avoidance. What do you learn about yourself doing this practice? In addition, twice during the week, spend a two-hour period of time practicing safeguarding yourself at the sense doors. This is the practice of staying attentive enough to the stimulus you receive that you can avoid reacting negatively. When you perceive a sight, sound, smell, taste, or touch that could trigger an unskillful mental state, recognize clearly what you are perceiving while also watching yourself. In this way, you can avoid getting involved with unskillful reactions to what you are experiencing through your sense doors. This practice is most satisfying when it safeguards a state of mind that is peaceful, loving, or otherwise beneficial. Well, Week two. This is also about meditation, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, week two. Week two, the effort of overcoming. Consider the following questions this week. 
when you are experiencing an unskillful mental state, what are your preferred ways of overcoming it, of causing it to go away? Are your methods healthy or unhealthy? Do your strategies come from wisdom or from aversion? How does your wisdom cast light on the practice of overcoming or abandoning unskillful states? Notice when you are thinking unskillful thoughts. For instance, thoughts of resentment, ill will, greed, covetousness, frightening imaginings about the future, or negative opinions about yourself or others. Once you notice them, practice letting these thoughts go. Apply skillful means to stop these trains of thinking. If you can't stop them, try to distract yourself from these, concern, these concerns. When you're no longer having the unskillful thoughts, notice how not having the thoughts feels different than having them. How does this affect your overall ability to think and evaluate wisely? Week three, the effort of arousing. This week, make a list of three emotional states or attitudes that you think are worthwhile for you to cultivate. What are the circumstances that tend to evoke these emotional states or attitudes in you? And what circumstances is it appropriate to intentionally arouse them? What, what wise ways do you know for arousing these states and attitudes? When is it beneficial to do this and when might it be counterproductive? Choose one skillful state and spend an entire day cultivating it. Wow. <laughs> this could be, for example, friendliness, joy, compassion, gratitude, generosity, calm, or equanimity. Plan ahead by picking a day when you know you'll have time <coughs> to actively focus on the state. You might prepare by creating some reminders on post-it notes to help you keep <coughs> the quality in mind and by selecting some short reflections or readings to look at throughout the day. At the end of the day, assess what you learn by regularly cultivating the state over the course of a day. Week four, the effort of maintaining. What are some of the causes and conditions that lead you to lose touch with skillful mental states? For instance, if you're calm, how do you lose that calm? If you're happy, what causes it to fade? If you have goodwill for others, what undermines it? In contrast, what supports the continuation of these skillful states? What values, priorities, and intentions do you have that can support the continuation of skillful states? Which ones undermine them? Choose the skillful state that you value and that you can easily evoke. This could be being relaxed before doing something that makes you anxious. It could be evoking curiosity to investigate something rather than Rejudging it, or you could be bringing forth a basic friendliness when in a gathering with um, of strangers. Establish the skillful state just before entering a situation in which you know it will be challenging to maintain the state. Experiment with making an effort to keep the state going throughout the situation. 
afterwards reflect on the effort you make. What can you learn from your effort? Was it wise? Were you able to find an appropriate way to maintain the skillful state during this week? Do these three times. Then, if you can, discuss your experiences with a friend. Okay, do you want to uh, write now and then discuss? Sure. We could we're write. Let's, we're writing about these um, right effort questions. Yeah. yeah. And let's write for 11 minutes. How's that? And then, Sounds good. And then break into groups for um, 15 minutes. Okay. We'll write till 8 o'clock. Okay. And I'll put the questions in the chat. So, what did Matt discover about all this? How's your effort? <laughs> um, uh, I, I guess the I kind of think about um, what uh, I can't remember his name right now, but he said that um, you know you're perfect the way you are, but you can use a little improvement. Mm -hmm. Roshi. That's right, Suzuki Roshi. Yeah. Um, bye, Stephanie. Uh, bye, Stephanie. Bye. And um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I guess I, 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 I could, I could do a little bit better with my efforts. Um, and and my thought is, and I've been listening to more kind of was telling the group this, I've been listening to more Joko Beck uh, Dharma talks on YouTube. And she talks a lot about um, labeling your thoughts, something to do over and over and over again. Um, in order to kind of discover a little bit more about who I am. Um, and my hope is to be, you know, non-judgmental in that. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, there's some non-judgmental and loving towards myself. I, I, I'm taking the precepts on Sunday. Oh, boy. Yeah. The last one is, um, you know, honoring the triple treasures. And, and, and the first one is Buddha. And if you think of um, all beings have Buddha nature, uh, and that includes ourselves. Um, you know, I want to make sure I'm, I'm being kind to myself in my efforting. Um, so, so, uh, and then the Brahma Vihara practice, the effort of arousing is an important one for me. Um, something that, that is a part of my intentional practice in meditation. Arousing what? Arousing compassion and sympathetic joy and love and, and equanimity. Um, and these, the, the idea that these are already these, these are already present within us. Um, just a matter of uncovering, um, uncovering them. So some of those are some of the effort efforts that I'm uh, trying to trying to do, trying to effort.
maybe the effort to um, figure out where we need to have more effort is a good one. You know, you know just noticing our effort. Right. Effort. Especially given whether they're self-imposed or otherwise timelines on our on our attention and our time throughout the day. That's a good question, Kim. Mm -hmm. What, where, where is our effort needed? <laughs> oh, the baby. Where's that baby? Okay, so I have to see. Oh my goodness, oh. that's so beautiful. <laughs> and the perfect name, a perfect name. Pretty eyes. She's pretty calm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh my. Her eyes are just in the middle of turning from blue to brown, so they're greenish oh. now. Oh. Mm -hmm. Doesn't seem freaked out by our Zoom session. No, she's she's quite content. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's super affectionate, and she is looking forward to meeting people at our various appointments next week. So. Hi, uh. so. She's already met a few folks. She met Lori and she met Dennis and Oh. Yeah. Good. Yeah. She's a good little yeah. girl. As a trooper today, going around the golf course. Yeah, she went around the whole golf course. Wow. wow. That little bitty dog. Oh, tiny wow. little legs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's sweetness. Did she loved it? Long time afterwards. What? Did she sleep for a long time afterwards? She wanted to play. Oh. I couldn't believe it. She still had energy. <laughs> She's going to wear me out. <laughs> <laughs> Just like babies do. <laughs> Will she be able to run with you eventually? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That'll be great. Yeah, she's, she'll get long walks. She'll get lots of visits. Yeah, but she's a pretty calm dog. She has a lot of equanimity. Yeah, <laughs> I love that mark on her nose. There's one little dark, a, a white circle like a donut. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like a donut. Oh yes. <laughs> oh, pick. She's a good girl. Yeah. You can. Really you can. You can tell she brings such good energy to you too. You just mm. you just seem so content and at peace holding her. <laughs> <laughs> so is uh, showing us what what right effort looks like, right? Here. There you go. <laughs> it's pretty easy with a puppy. You can pretty much tell what the right effort is. <laughs> uh. Yeah, she goes to visit the vet tomorrow. So It'll be her first vet visit. And this is just for friendliness. Yeah. Yeah, just to just to get checked out and uh, and get to know the vet and it's a new puppy checkup. She's not fearful though. She's she's pretty pretty good about all the things that you know. It's a lot more traffic than she's used to. She was living out in the country on a big country mm -hmm. estate. And, uh -huh. It's very quiet there, so all the noise is different. Mm -hmm. <laughs> She's been pretty yeah. good about it. 
Why yeah. did you why did you decide to you get how to walk on a leash? What Donna? Uh, why did you decide to get a puppy? Uh, well, well, I always had dogs my whole life until I went into graduate school. And then um, it wasn't possible in graduate school. And then I was living in graduate student housing. And then after graduate school, I was so busy, you know, running labs and things like that, that the long hours just made it impossible. Mm -hmm. So now I'm here. And it's really, uh, it's really lovely to have a dog again. That's great. I'm reading up on all the new training. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, she's been a little, a little Is she a little getting familiar? <laughs> Peg, is she finding familiarity with her name yet? Yeah, she's gradually getting to learn that. Um, yeah. I think it's a good name for her. I do too. Did she have a name yeah. before or was she just anonymous no. puppy? No, they, they named them by their collars. So she was a green colored girl because she had the green collar. So that's what they do with their, uh, with their puppies. Yeah. Their name. Oh. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. Wow. This is her sleepy time of day, so. Yeah. Mine too. I'm going to bow out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Take care. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. For indulging us. Uh, turn over Thank a little you. bit of puppy time. Beef. What? In terms of effort this week, we're all going to turn over a new leaf and renew our effort. Okay. Joyfully. 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 That sounds great to me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Good night. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Mm -hmm.